Hello, and welcome to the Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's star-studded films, blockbuster movies, and most hype popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Klesia, Malika, and Will, and today we're going to talk about Frozen 2. Into the end. All right, so here's your spoiler warning. We will be talking in depth about the plots, the characters, everything about Frozen 2, and likely any other movies we bring up. So we will try to give you as much heads up as we can, but there will be spoilers. You've been warned. And especially Frozen 1. Oh, yeah, obviously Frozen 1. And maybe other Disney movies from this recent maybe era? Lord of the Rings. Uh, Lord of the Rings. We got, a, we got really in depth with our analysis this time around. You have been warned. Three years on from their adventures in Frozen, Sisters Elsa and Anna, voiced by Edina Menzel and Kristen Bell, respectively, find themselves confronting something new altogether, coming to terms with who they are and how others see them. The film opens with a flashback of the young sisters being told a bedtime story by their now-deceased parents. Their father, Agnar, regales them with the tale of meeting the people of Northundra, a tribe from the north who learn to harmoniously coexist with the elemental spirits of air, fire, water, and earth. When a clash broke out between the guards of Arendelle and the Northundrian tribes, young Agnar was saved by a mysterious figure. But in the clash, his father, King Runrard, dies, resulting in Agnar becoming king of Arendelle. An ominous mist falls over the forest where the battle took place, preventing anyone from entering or leaving. It's now 30 years after that battle, and Elsa begins to hear a voice, which beckons her to this enchanted forest. Her determination to follow the voice leads Anna, Olaf, Kristoff, and Sven to accompany her into the unknown. Each will encounter some truths that are at first difficult to face, but ultimately help our heroes to embrace their truest selves. So let's get into first impressions. Um, what did you guys think of this movie? As our friend Enzo Ferrari would say from Ford vs. Ferrari, you are not frozen. You're frozen the second. <laughs> so true. So Sick true. burn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, so we didn't all see this together. Um, I saw it separately from Malika and Will, but the time that we've kind of been sitting on this, I think we all are kind of feeling the weight of the expectations of Frozen 1 and how that is kind of hanging over this film because it felt like there was a lot of great pieces, but it didn't come together. Yeah, I agree. And I actually recently rewatched Frozen just so I could have it fresh in my mind before going into Frozen 2. And the first one is so simple and just hits the mark on so many levels. But this one I felt like was just trying to recreate that magic and just constantly falling short, like in terms of the songs, in terms of the complexity of the plot, in terms of the, honestly, the character development as well. It just couldn't reach the level that Frozen 1 was able to do so seamlessly. Agreed. And Frozen 1 was so good because you come in with this expectations that it's just a classic Disney princess tale and it starts off that way but through the course of the movie it turns your expectations on its head and it's really a story about two sisters and it kind of uses the expectations of what come with a Disney princess movie and use that to make a better more fulfilling story they tie those expectations into the story with Anna and Hans right off the bat talking about getting married and getting hitched and falling in love and they even say in Frozen 1 you've known him for two hours. You can't get married. And they use that to make the story what it is where in this one, it just kind of feels like 
They don't really know how to address the expectations, how to follow up the first one. They just kind of play into your standard, not really Disney princess fair, but your standard fantasy. Yeah, it's very paint by numbers, right? It's like, I think that's a great point, Will. I feel like they confronted maybe the idea of like, wow, this first film was so successful. It did all these things. How can we possibly measure up? And they kind of decided to ignore all that and just like, let's just make our movie. Let's not try to be bogged down with the expectations and the success of that first movie and just try to make a story. But I think they allowed too many plots and too many different character motivations to kind of intermingle in a way that was more complex than it probably needed to be. Agreed. And, you know, the first one pretty much comes down to Elsa is trying to find herself and how she handles these magical powers and Anna is trying to save her sister. And from there, the story unravels and we find out it's a love story between two sisters and that's it. That's really the plot of the movie. The other characters are there to facilitate those characters moving through their own discovery of who they are. Where this one, I still have no idea what the point of the movie was, what the plot of the movie was, what even, well, what were Anna and Elsa trying to get out of it? All right, well, let's go through the beats. So, spoiler warnings galore. We're going to talk a lot about what happens in the movie next. So, the first of all, um, Elsa hears a voice. She hears some sort of spirit or something kind of calling her to somewhere she doesn't know. Um, and then you also get the characters all talking about how, you know, with the seasons changing, other things are changing. Like, they're all growing older. They're all changing. You know, they have to adjust to what life has in store for them. So that's kind of setting the stage, right? And then you have the flashback of the mom and the dad reading a bedtime story or telling a bedtime story to the girls. And you find out about the father's history a little bit. And you find out about what he experienced as a young boy and meeting the Northundrians and learning about the elemental spirits and how, you know, those people learn to live in harmony with them. But the, those of Arendelle had a very different way of life. There's already three different things going on there that how are you going to connect all of this? Then on top of that, you have Kristoff wanting to propose to Anna and then him trying to figure out the right way and the right time to do that. You have Olaf um, kind of confronting his getting older and his maturity because before he was just, you know, a naive kind of young spirit that was just enthralled with life and and everything that that meant. So now he's learning to confront change and, and growth and things that aren't as good and as fun as summer. A really existential... Yeah. Like crisis for a kids movie about this snowman who is an inanimate object and then all of a sudden has to confront the realities of being alive. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of complexity for the C plot in this movie. And then there's some other stuff that comes into play as well. So you find out that their mother was from the North Undren tribe. So she has a connection to that place. And there's a spiritual oh, kind of Mecca of Atalan where there's, a river. There's just so much going on and it just feels like the movie is kind of sagging under the weight of all of the complexities and all the strings that it's trying to tie together in the end. Yeah, it was trying to be too much and not only was it trying to, as I said earlier, like recreate the magic of the first one, make sure that there was all these like big songs just like the first one happened to have and there's all these like cool magical things happening and outfit changes like they were just like okay what worked in frozen one let's make sure we recreate those like step by step and then let's add layer on top of layer on top of layer of complexity so that nobody actually knows what's going on yeah and what's interesting about this is that it's all the same people from the first film it's the same 
co-directors in Jennifer Lee and Chris Buck. It's the same uh, executive producer that I think, from what I've read, had a really strong hand in the creative process and helped a lot with getting them to realize the vision for this film. Uh, you have Adina Menzel, you have Kristen Bell, all the same actors. You do have a couple of uh, newcomers, and I think Evan Rachel Wood plays the mom, Aduna, and... Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, Sterling K. Brown as the Arendelle Guardsman. So there's a lot of heavy hitters behind this. There's a lot of people that were important to the success of Frozen 1. So it just makes me wonder where they could have gone wrong. Well, and I feel like you can see where their creative process went. They ended the first one. And so we have Elsa with her ice magic. They probably sit around thinking, okay, where do we go next? Let's dive deeper into what her magic is. Where does it come from? How do you control it? What other types of magic is there? And then you look at Arendelle and you say, Arendelle's this castle kingdom on this fjord. What other places are there? What else is around? How did Arendelle get there? And I can understand trying to say, okay, we got to dive deeper into what we've already established, but it seems like they tried to do too many things and tried to explain too much. And that's the thing with magic and fantasy, any sort of, you know, supernatural forces in stories is that yes, sometimes it's good to uh, explain how they come about, but a lot of times the more you explain it, the less magical it becomes and the less interesting it becomes. Oh, you mean like the force? I was just about to say the midichlorians. It's like George Lucas making the force palpable in these little micro microscopic animals or they're like the spirits. And then, and then if you break it down, there was also what the wills, it gets super in depth and like, Anakin's midichlorian levels are over 9,000. What the yeah. hell does that mean? Yeah, you're, you're so right, Will, because like I watched, as I said, I, we watched the first movie and not once did I say, where did her powers come from? Right. Like that didn't need to be answered for me to enjoy the movie. And I, I totally understand like, okay, where can we take the second movie? Let, let's explore that. I get that and I like that. But then having these other elements, other forces having magic, but then having them sort of be inconsistent. So there's four elemental spirits right you've got water that's represented by a horse um, and also not only is it represented by a horse it also like is a has memory so it has a multiple different levels <laughs> they said that at least five times and water then, has so, memory so it's a horse it has memories and it also is this like magical mystical place far through the dark seas or something like that. Yeah, the like dark that. seas to Atolan, I Right, and then you get there. So th- it had multiple functions. Then you've got fire represented by some sort of little lizard that reminded me a lot of like Charmander from Pokemon. Charmander, Char! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you've got wind, which was just... Wind. wind. It was just wind. And they, they gave it a name. They named it Gale, which I thought that was corny. I know, Clay, you said you liked it. It was but, cute. <laughs> um, and then last was Earth, represented by these rock giants. And just like, where was the consistency? Where was... I don't I didn't get what was also, tying them together. you literally had the rock creatures there on a platter for you from the first movie. The whole time. The the trolls, Kristoff's troll family. Like, you already had it there. You didn't need to add one. You could have used that to tie into this movie. Right. I, so I don't get those decisions made. And just to, like, go back to the point one more time about magic, like, Harry Potter, that's something that they did so well. Like, J.K. Rowling never tried to come up with a scientific explanation for why wands create these sparks out of the end of it or try to say, oh, magic is 
your will manifested in. No, magic was just magic. And right, even you accept it as reality. Yeah. She used that a lot, just not explaining any, anything. Like sometimes to her detriment, uh, time turners. <laughs> true. But like you never really questioned too much Voldemort and Harry's relationship. You just knew, okay, there was this prophecy. He tried to kill him and it didn't work through his mother's love. And that's all you really needed. You didn't need to get into what the actual force of it was. And this movie was just like midichlorians manifested (laughs) in its own movie. And to your point, like with Harry Potter, Harry Potter is a great example of something that was originally made for kids, but never was like, let's dumb this down for kids. Exactly. And I think like Frozen kind of went the opposite direction. It's, it is still a kid's movie. Like the prime demographic is probably like six year old little girls. I mean, yes, we all went to see it. I'm sure the billion dollars that were made weren't just little children, but the point of it, like they're still meant for children, but you can still like have an intelligent film that makes sense and still have it be whimsical. And I just feel like, they were trying to make a movie maybe for the parents with like all of these larger issues, but also make sure that it was like with Olaf's jokes and reindeer singing in the background, still making it whimsical enough for kids to enjoy. And she was like just overstuffed. And that's what made Frozen 1 so great, so fantastic was it's in my personal opinion, a nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10 type movie. And it was because it has that whimsical kids movie feel but it also has themes and storylines that are interesting and applicable and relatable for adults who go and see it as well so it's disappointing like you were saying malika to have frozen one be so good on all accounts for so many different audiences then this one was you're right dumbed down yeah i've been thinking a lot about this and i i ultimately think this has a lot to do with disney unfortunately I really feel like they're entering a stage in the maturity of the business, especially the film business with them owning all these properties. So whether it's Disney originals, whether it's Star Wars, Marvel, where their expectation now is for these types of films that are kind of the hallmarks of their brands to box office at least a billion dollars. So their concern is less about the complexity and the art of the story and the craft that goes into it and more about how can we make sure that this is a movie that hits the right notes to get us to that threshold. And I I ultimately think that, you know, with the creative forces that they have, they can be accomplishing so much more. Like obviously they do make great animated films, but probably recently I think you're getting a lot of, okay, what can we make a sequel of or what can we um, kind of retap to ensure that we can get asses in seats, if you will. And I think maybe Frozen 2 is suffering a little bit of that. And I know with Lasseter having left, I do wonder too if his influence leaving has had that impact of, you know, where he kind of brought that Pixar feel. I, you know, something Will's mentioned a bunch, like having that person from the Pixar background that cared more about the right story and the right characters and the right people kind of working towards a singular vision and more about how can we make sure that this aligns with our brand. And I think, unfortunately, that's something that's happened with Frozen 2. Remind me, I'm trying to think now as you say that, of the you know original animated Walt Disney movies, not Pixar, have any of the sequels made it to the big screen? Because I know that they've made like Lion King 2, Little Mermaid 2, Aladdin 2. A lot of the movies have had sequels, but is this one of the first that you guys can think of that actually was released in theaters? I want to say 
it would be Wreck It Ralph. Ralph breaks the internet. Isn't that Pixar? No, it's no. Disney. But again, it's of this era. It's of if you were to break down Disney into its kind of modern day eras, you have the late eighties to late nineties kind of resurgence, the renaissance, if you will, of starting with I believe the Little Mermaid and continuing probably up to around Mulan, which people kind of felt was a little bit of that plateau point. And then you have a bit of a lull. How dare you? I don't I agree. Mulan. For the record, for the record, you? I don't agree. Mulan those people, is so good. those people are insane. <laughs> but if you look at internet scholars, if you yeah. will, that's kind of considered How to be they? the These end scholars are trolls get How out of here they? also if you're listening to our podcast we will hunt you down <laughs> um but yeah so then after that period you kind of have a little bit of disney losing some edge to pixar and pixar coming in hot with some great films you know so mm-hmm. it's just like i think it's just we're in a different phase right now of this maybe the late 2010s if you will the mid to late 2010s um of disney kind of figuring out a tweak to the formula and we've gotten some great movies let's let's not get it twisted right like tangled is great i do love, love tangled. the first record ralph is great obviously really frozen good. is great so i think you're right though this is probably the first era where you're seeing immediate sequels within a few years of that first movie coming out because for the most part disney's had a bunch of remakes and maybe spiritual sequels but none of the sequels really have gotten the attention of a frozen 2 Right, I think it's been six years. So it wasn't immediately, but I see what you mean. Like within the last 10 years, they're like, oh, instead of coming up with something new, they're like, let's just bank on something we know works. And I wonder if part of it is that Frozen was a little bit of a runaway hit. Like, I don't know if they expected it to be as big of a phenomenon as it ended up being, especially with Let It Go, right? Like how many internet videos have you seen or heard of where little girls were singing Let It Go? And I think that they were like, okay, let's just capitalize on this and keep going. And like a lot of movies have done that. You know, one of my favorite rewatchable movies is Pitch Perfect. And did it need a second and a third one? No, it did not. actually hurt my love of the original because there were other, there was too much in that universe now that I couldn't just enjoy this one movie. And I'm sure that we could all, if we just sat here, we could think of so many movies that were actually hurt by sequels being tacked on after. And I wonder if this is going to, you know, right now it's doing well in theaters, but in retrospect, we're going to look back and be like, I kind of wish this didn't exist. I think from a critical perspective, you're definitely right. I mean, from a financial perspective, it's on track right now. It's already made, I think, like $250 million yeah, domestically. It's and it's the box definitely going to reach a billion again. But I definitely think critically, you have a good point. Well, I'll be interested to see because a lot of the people I've talked to who have seen Frozen 2 are big fans of it. But it's kind of the same critical path that all of the recent Disney sequels and Pixar sequels have trajectory is where right after people saw it they say oh i really liked it it was great like incredibles 2 or finding dory or monsters university where you know right afterwards people were saying yeah this is really good but then give it some time and it makes people go back and watch the original and come back and say okay that was actually nowhere near as good as the first one that's such a good point and then toy story is probably the exception to that I mean, it's, I think, lost a little bit of the sheen of the first one, especially two, because I think two is kind of widely considered to be the best of all the Toy Stories. But yeah, with three and then especially four coming out just this year, you get a little bit of that, but it's probably the only one that's been able to withstand that kind of retrospective criticism where all the other ones, I couldn't even tell you what happened in those sequels. It was just irrelevant. It just didn't have the impact of the originals. Agreed. 
And, you know, we talked about this in our last podcast, Knives Out, but we three also really respect and love original stories. And so I think no matter what, a sequel is always going to have a little, you know, eye roll attached to it just because like you could have done something new and said you added to a universe that already existed. And there are some amazing sequels out there. So, you know, there's great trilogies, great prequels. I'm not saying, you know, there's just no way for it to work, but it is, it's a, it is a harder challenge for sure to take something so beloved and then continue to hit the same marks, recreate that magic. All right, guys, let's dive deep with what we do, you know, in this podcast into what Shallow happened waters. in Frozen. Shallow frozen I think, waters. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we have a lot of thoughts, obviously, around the production, the creative process of the film. But let's kind of look at the film on its own merits of like what we saw on the screen. So ultimately, what this is, it's a story of kind of self-love, right? Like it's a story, you know, Elsa is for sure the main protagonist with Anna being a little secondary, I would say. And it's ultimately about Elsa kind of eschewing the sense of responsibility that she has um, as queen of Arendelle and then really confronting who she thinks she is versus trying to temper who she pretends to be in front of everyone else, right? So I do appreciate that the themes are very mature, I would say, for a children's film, but there's just so much going on. But let's talk about how Elsa's journey goes and how she kind of goes from being feeling kind of cooped up and feeling like she's not truly being herself to, I guess, embracing who she always thought she could be, which I got a lot of problems okay. with that whole thing. Can I, um, I, cr- I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. Is that not the exact thematic storyline of the first frozen? Uh, yes, it is like this movie. All of the people close to her were incredibly accepting of her ice powers. And I don't get where the feeling of coop up came from. You know, the first movie you had a very direct, you know, people were telling her to hide her powers, not use her phone. I mean, she was powers. literally locked away. She was literally points. locked away. And that's where that feeling of, you know, let it go, go be your own person. That's where that theme came from for the first movie. This one, she had a sister and her sister's boyfriend who like are incredibly loving and accepting of her. Even the entire kingdom has like embraced her frozen magic. And then now it's the theme they're trying to drive home is still the self discovery buy into who you are as a person. But that seemed to have already been the message of the first movie. I don't get why they did it again. And another main theme of the first movie was isolation. And finally, as you said, Will, like she's with her sister and her sister's boyfriend and they're, she's finally accepted. And yet she wants to go off and be isolated again. So it just felt counterintuitive. It's like you finally found yourself and your family and now you're pushing them away. And Anna is holding on to you, you know, to dear life and you're still like, no, no, I need to go do this alone. She was very much the broody teenager still, which again, it just felt like, yeah, like a regression of the character. We already did this and in the movie they actually specifically Elsa mentions the ice castle scene where she's singing let it go someone brings it up and she like brushes it off like oh yeah you know oh, I, I think was- it was in Atalan where she was seeing kind of like the hall of water memories which is the fuck <laughs> I, no I think it was something it was with earlier Chris- Christoph yeah. brings it up to her and she's like-, like oh that was I was different then but you're then not. You're not. You do almost the exact same thing beat for beat. You go into Atalon and do this whole ice 
castle ice room thing again. Change of clothes also. Another wardrobe change. Yeah. It was like we're different hairstyle, but different yeah. Different hairstyle, different, you know, she's got those two tails coming out <laughs> the to top be fair, of her. A cute look. I thought it was great. <laughs> Power moves. Will be a great Halloween costume come October. And same thing with Anna, right? Like her whole storyline was that she was kind of codependent and lonely and she always needed somebody, whether it was Anna or Hans or Kristoff. Like she needed a partner in crime fine but that didn't really change in the second movie and sure there's like a short period of time where she's like finds her independence but that is very short-lived it was like they tacked it on at the end because literally there's a single song where she's kind of curled up in the fetal position and she's talking about her basically her depression and like her detachment from the people that she loves so she's you know lost Olaf at that point he's melted away uh Elsa's gone she doesn't know where Kristoff is but then she literally kind of just like gets up halfway through the song and I'm sorry kind of pulls herself up by her own bootstraps which is a bullshit expression yeah physically not possible <laughs> just saying but like, have you tried uh yeah it's hard okay uh, but yeah, so she basically gets over her codependence midway through the song. It's like, I got me a plan to save the village and get rid of the dance. I was like, where the hell did this come from? Yeah, I appreciate the trying to, you know, embrace the theme of depression and, you know, like addressing something that's a real world issue. But if you're going to do it, you can't make it a two minute issue where she's sad for a little bit because Olaf just died, which we don't have to get into that right now, but that completely made zero sense to me. Yeah. We got to talk about Olaf later. Again, the magic makes no sense. It makes no sense. (gasps) But you know, she's sad for two minutes and then she starts singing her depression song. Like I'm depressed. And then halfway through, she's like, okay, I'm over it. You know, that's not really seriously addressing an issue. That's a very light brush over of it. Did you guys notice that before Olaf withers away, he points out, look, there's an exit right there. So Anna, yeah, she's really sad that she's lost her friend again because she's so codependent. She needs somebody. But there was a very clear exit. She knew where to go. So it wasn't like she was completely trapped in a tunnel. There's no light. There's nowhere like she's going to die there herself. It's like, okay, there's a very clear path for you. That's such a good point point like she didn't have to struggle at all to figure out how to get out of there literally someone told her like her manic pixie dream snowman just told her <laughs> how to get out and then all she had to do was just like all right well guess i'm done crying manic pixie dream is that not what he is oh that is so what he is i love that but i mean i think yes it's double right it's like she lost olaf her friend in the moment but also she knows something's wrong with elsa but there isn't like let me go find elsa it's like oh all hope is lost yeah Okay. I've given up on my sister. There was no like, let me find out where she is because she could be trapped. Also, she, she knows exactly where she went. You, you don't know what's happened to her. You know that some, something has triggered the um, melting of Olaf, but that's it. There's not enough clarity there. That's what I was going to say. That conflict, there was no conflict. She gets stuck in this like frozen ice hole or something. <laughs> and then independently, Anna does this whole bridge dam breakdown because she feels like it's the right thing to do or okay first of all she finds out about her grandfather murdering her other grandfather actually. oh i didn't even think about but, that her mom was one of the northundrians but she finds out about it because elsa sends this like snow burst to right where she was where well she the, knows like, spiritually where her yeah, sister is I, you know again so like to clay's <laughs> point the magic didn't make sense and that is such a frustration for me so yes that this ice well, sculpture thing shows okay. up and anna wait, is able to understand right away we just spent all this time talking about the magic doesn't like 
have to make sense, but I'm just like, how did she know that that was her grandfather and that the whole story of, okay, that's her grandfather. That's the North Undrian leader. My grandfather murdered him. He wasn't actually a good guy. So that means I have to go break this bridge because it was a symbol of the leaps that she takes to get to that conclusion have gaps like ridiculous. You know what I was just thinking would have probably made more sense since they are clearly setting up the fact that Elsa's well-being is tied to Olaf's well-being. Wouldn't it have made more sense for Olaf to kind of channel Elsa and deliver the message to Anna exactly. versus some random like winter burst of wind? Like as he was dying, he could have been useful and been like, Elsa's sending me a message and this is what she's saying about what really happened. It still doesn't make any sense, but I would have questioned right. it less than what happened. So the origins of the magic don't have to be explained, but I feel like you have to set some rules and stick to them. So even in Harry Potter, there are rules. In Lord of the Rings, there are rules. So again, I don't need to understand the origins of it, but the fact that there weren't any rules and things kind of were just like all over the place was really frustrating, especially for three people like us who do watch a lot of fantasy type movies. And, you know, again, this was an animated children's film, but still like you're going to enter into that world, like make some rules and stick to them. That's fair. I totally agree with that. But to the point of like saving Elsa, did she even know that Elsa was stuck or in trouble? She just sees this ice sculpture and then decides to break the dam, which it's then- It's because of Olaf. She realizes yeah, something. Basically, up. she realized, so since Elsa's oh, magic created yeah, made Olaf okay. real, she realizes with That's Olaf fair. fading away that something must right. have happened to Elsa. That's but fair. to your earlier point, Will, it's like, How? Because yeah. Elsa didn't die. She was just frozen. So why is her being frozen going to affect Olaf? Would that affect all the magic that she did when she was alive? That's insane. That's an insane premise. I'm sorry. It kind of harkens back to Harry Potter and Half-Blood Prince. So spoiler warning coming up. So when Dumbledore is killed by Snape, the spell that he put on Harry to freeze him in place ends. Mm. So that was a clear connection of Dumbledore's magic is gone. So the magic holding Harry both metaphorically and literally has been broken. And that was to me a perfect encapsulation of what they were trying to get across, but they didn't. Unless you just watch the Harry Potter movies, in which case for some weird reason, Harry just decides yeah. to hide in the corner while yeah. he's paralyzed with fear. Do not yeah. do anybody justice. I mean, that whole movie should just be tossed in the trash because yeah. that's uh-huh. what it is. But yeah, let's, that's an aside. That's an aside, but <laughs> I agree that there needs to be some consistency. But I guess the point I was trying to get at was she breaks this dam to help Northundria and then just so happens to coincidentally also save Elsa through it, which we don't understand yeah, why? How, how that ties back to Elsa at all. All That's of a sudden, she's just okay. A great point. I have no idea. The only thing I can think of, which again, goes back to the magic not making any sense, is so the whole thing that kickstarts the conflict, right, is for whatever reason, 34 years later, these elemental spirits decide that Arendelle must now pay for their old king's crimes against nature, right? So they basically force the Arendellians out and Anna is the one that realizes that when the dam breaks, that will flood the fjord, including Arendelle that's at the base. So you kind of get the idea of like the sins of the father kind of fall to the ch- whatever. So, you know, you kind of get the impression that 
Arendelle needs to pay for their past sins in some way. But A, that doesn't even happen. And then secondly, exactly. the spirits, I guess, it. just forgive. They're like, we're all good now, homie, for reasons. Because yeah. So if you waited 34 years to get your revenge or whatever as an elemental spirit, why all of a sudden are you going to let Elsa just like divert your flood and be like, ah, it's fine. And, and how did she get there fast enough? She served down on her horse. Didn't you not yeah. see? That's really, really fast. Yeah. And the other thing I didn't get with the whole spirits and the four elements. Okay. The four elements, very clear. That's in, you know, a whole lot of different type of, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender. I was going to say they basically stole bending. Yeah. So, mm, okay. Let's, but let's brush over that. <laughs> they add the fifth one, which is... The fifth element? Her? Great movie, great movie. <gasps> oh, but she movie. is, she is like the fifth element, which mm-hmm. is but she's ice, water. which yeah. is water. Which what? It's Wait a, a really second. cold water. Well, really cold water. So a lot of it felt very half baked, which is insane to me that something can seem half baked when it's an animated movie. When you know how many thousands and thousands of hours go into making animated right. movies. I believe the budget was $150 million on this film oh and they, they started working on it pretty much immediately after Frozen so it's been six years. So the fact that in none of the revisions and any of the you know the uh, pilots that they've screened to probably executives that no one brought that up I'm like this makes no sense whatsoever. Makes no sense. Fuck it kids I guess like what? Oh, I hope they just stop with this one and they don't yeah, try to agreed. keep adding movies to the series because this was not good. Unfortunately, <laughs> given the Disney machine, if this movie makes at least 900 million, there's probably going to be a third one. Clayson, you got to stop saying that because you're making me angry because it's so true. I know. And I love so many Disney properties. I love Disney too. I yeah. love Disney and I want to think better of it, but me you're too. like, it's so true, yeah. especially with some of the other stuff they're doing. Like the Mandalorian, I don't, we don't need to get into it. I don't think it's that great. I think it is just a device. Well, to that's sell a hot only take. to tell, I would say. I'm only four episodes. I think only four episodes. Yeah. I haven't started yet, so don't spoil anything. It's basically just a vehicle to sell baby, baby Yoda. Yoda. Yeah, for sure. And the thing is, like, let's be real. Like, okay, there's a lot of things in this movie that didn't work, but... I would say I enjoyed myself watching it. Um, There wasn't a point where I was like, get me out of this theater. It was no last Christmas, you know? I did enjoy it. I found Olaf super charming. He was always on the verge of being too annoying and a little too one note. Like, he kept talking about maturity, kept talking about, like, I'll understand when I'm older, which is like, okay, make that joke once, maybe twice, maybe three times. Don't have that be the only thing that Olaf talks about. But yet he still was very charming. I got to give Josh Gad a lot of credit for um, voicing the character and doing a great job. You know, there were certain, certain elements that worked, but overall, it just couldn't live up to the first one. Agreed. And I think in general, with like, if you look at all the characters and what their motivations are and how everything plays out, like Olaf is probably the MVP of this movie, like right. low key. He's my MVP for sure. Honestly, MVP of the first movie too. Like there's not that many sidekicks in these Disney movies that actually play pretty pivotal roles like he has saved the day a bunch of times yeah it kind of harkens back to renaissance era disney where you have your mushus and mulan and you know the animal sidekicks and pokemon like there were so many great sidekicks in those films that actually like to your point help the main character realize their journey 
And that's what Olaf does best. And he's so good as kind of the comic relief. But I would say in this movie, he actually steps it up because you get a lot of, you know, we talked about it earlier, that existential kind of commentary that comes in quick bursts and it's so great and it's so witty and sharp. But then the song kind of just kills that whole buzz. And then if you think about the fact that, you know, every character gets their song, you know, in this in this movie, Kristoff gets a song. He didn't really have one in the last movie. If you don't count the rain, reindeers are better or easier than people. Yeah. Um but it just seemed like they had to like paint by numbers. Okay, every every one of the main characters gets their own song, but none of the songs felt connected. They didn't seem to move the story along because basically the character had a moment of realization and then you didn't see any development after that. You just saw, here is my song and they kind of then meet up at the end and then know that the other needs their help in some way. Like, how? If anything, the characters spend more time apart than they do together in the last two thirds of the movie. You could have cut out a bunch of the characters and still had the same plot. Exactly. And to your point about the songs, that that was my biggest gripe about the songs. Well, first of all, I don't think any of them were as catchy or good as any of the songs from the first movie. Now, that may just be because I've listened to them so many times. But really, I don't think any of them were memorable. I don't think any of them were that impressive. Or memorable for the wrong reasons, like uh, Into the Unknown being so pitchy. (laughs) Yeah, it was wild. But you made a great point where in the first movie, all of the songs were about the development of the characters about you know their relationships with each other where they were in that point of the movie and how they were kind of growing where Olaf's song just didn't make any sense I understand where they were going with he was gonna die at the end of the movie and he was struggling with like the existential nature of things change which is once again (laughs) wild for this movie right I want to see just that Olaf movie to be honest wild to be in this movie but you don't right. feel that as like tying back to his character development and yeah. like lost in the woods. I didn't really get into the unknown, I guess was like an allegory for the viewer going into the plot of this movie. Like no one knows the abyss, yeah, right? what the F yeah. is going on. And you're right. Cause it felt like a bunch of singles and not a full album. Right. right? Which is unlike the first one where everything kind of connected. And let's quickly talk about lost in the woods. Cause I know we all don't agree on this. I actually really enjoyed it. And I, I get what you guys are saying. It kind of was out of nowhere. It was this like 1980s, very reminiscent of like um, Lionel Richie or Michael Bolton. And even the way they had Kristoff show up on the screen in multiple places and the rangers the fades, in the background. Yeah. yeah, the fades. And there's an acorn that he sings to kind of like a hanging mic. And I don't know. I thought it was really cute and funny. But if you just cut that out of the movie, nothing would have changed. You wouldn't have missed a single thing. And that is, that's not good. That's wasting time, honestly. I thought it was hilarious too. I We saw it together. I was laughing when there's the shot of Kristoff singing with the reindeers in the background. That was like the queen Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. shot. Like I thought it was hilarious, but two things on that. I agree. It has no consequence to the rest of the movie. And the second part was, you know, we were talking about this felt like it was aimed for kids way more so than the first one, but it was like, no child is going to understand any power ballad references. Yeah. That was for the parents. That That was was a nod to the parents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. Don't get me wrong. I definitely thought it was funny and charming too. I just felt it was discongruent with the rest of the movie and literally the scene that preceded it. The whole thing was Kristoff was getting ready to propose. He gets help from one of the North Undrians to set up this elaborate like display and the reindeers are there and there's flowers twirling around. And then he finds out that Anna took off with Elsa 
Elsa and he feels crushed. And then it just segues into this comedic thing. And I'm like, would he be feeling comedic right now? Right. No, he wouldn't. He'd be feeling depressed. And that was just my issue with it. It's like, it, it was completely disconnected from what Kristoff's emotions were five seconds before the song started. And actually that reminds me. So the reason he's out in the woods in the first place is that he goes out there with Ryder, one of the North Andrians, and they have really good chemistry. Strong so sexual chemistry there. Elsa and one of the other North Indian women. Like, I was like, what was the point of having them and having them bond? And then they kind of just don't show up They again. never interact again for and the then, rest of yeah, the movie. And then, yeah, they don't really have much of an importance in the rest of the film, but they spend a lot of time making sure that there's like a this spark between them. I agree. I thought Kristoff and Ryder were bonding so hard right. about you know their connection with reindeer <laughs> and just kind of being like these honestly they're kind of like secondary characters to other people's stories they're like oh like i find this interesting i find this interesting too no one else thinks that like <laughs> that's what it seemed to well, be i thought they were gonna have christoph be north Undrian because they don't actually really talk about he's an orphan they don't explain what his origin stories are we know that he's raised by the trolls but nothing more than that so that's what i thought they were going with it like oh you and i have a bond and maybe it wasn't so much sexual chemistry as like, uh, you could have been my brother kind of chemistry. That's such a good point. We don't like, that would have been a way better plot for Kristoff throughout this movie is to maybe feel confronted with his lack of uh, biological family that he grew up with and then maybe finding some commonalities in North Right, and it would have been a good parallel to Elsa and Anna's parents. Like, right, she ends up with someone who's North Andrian as well and continues the tradition of bridging Arendelle and North Andrea. And it's very disappointing because you know, the whole point of Frozen 1 is they do such a great job of showing and portraying the complexities of friendship between women and friendship between sisters and sisterhood and what really it is to love your sister. But the friendship between Ryder and Kristoff and even Kristoff in general in this movie, it's all very one note. Mm -hmm. Like there's no attempt really to even show any sort of complexities of what it means to have a friendship between two men like friendship between two men oftentimes in media is just boiled down to kind of what this was like bro oh you like this i like this you have a girlfriend i had a girlfriend and there's no really depth there and for a movie that's all about subverting the expectations of what is typically portrayed in these types of movies, it just really hits one note with those two. Wow. That is, I, I feel like my esteem for this film is just dropping with every word that we say. <laughs> okay. Well, let's turn that because there's been a lot of praise for the way Kristoff was portrayed in this film in a sense that like he wasn't trying to save the day a little bit more the way he was portrayed in Frozen where he was like, I'm going to save Anna. Um, and then she didn't actually need saving from him. Elsa saved him. But in this one, he kind of was like, what do you need, Anna? How can I help you? Let me be there. Let me support you. And people really enjoyed that. But again, like that was all that he was there for to be like, look at this. We are such a feminist movie. You know, it almost takes away from it because it was so thin. I don't even know if I want to get into this because this is such like a complex conversation. But feminist movies, there's good feminist movies, which are about real like women characters and real life situations and actually explaining in a realistic way what is going on in a woman's mind. I mean, who am I to say this? I know. I love how Will's like, the one explaining feminism in <laughs> yeah. movies. I'm not yeah, trying Will, to tell us. No, he's but, film school now. Uh, but I <laughs> he think also has a movie three like, sisters. I think of a movie like Silence of the Lambs where it's like a real woman character who's actually having to, you know, put up with 
prejudice in the workplace mm-hmm. and men talking down to her and not giving her a chance because she's a woman and having to prove herself through these other ways. And same with the first frozen. The first frozen did a great job of that, of actually showing what a relationship between two sisters is, how that can be more important than these like trivial relationships with men. Like that's a real feminist movie and message. And it does it through telling the story and expanding on the relationships between characters where this movie kind of felt like the vein of feminist movies that, you know, just says we're a feminist movie yeah. and yeah. wants you to buy into it because of that. Yeah. For I the agree, branding. Yeah. Right. And I think that's reinforced also with Anna's relationship with Kristoff because for most of the movie, Anna is pretty confident and knows what she wants to do. She needs to protect her sister and be there and she's brave and strong and and all that. But whenever Kristoff uh, is trying to propose to her, all of a sudden she's like super self-conscious. Like, you don't want to be with me? Do you hate me? Do you like da, da, da? You're like, what? Where is this coming from? Kristoff hasn't given you zero reason to doubt yourself or your relationship. And I know it's supposed to be like, oh, she's like by accident thwarting her own engagement. But it kind of like ate into her character and like, any character development that had happened in the first movie. If we want to get into what I would have changed, one of them is I think they really undercut Anna as a character in this movie. You know, they kind of make her a joke, like a clown in this movie. Like you were saying, when he was trying to propose, she would always mess it up by being insecure. Or even when they were trying to hit an emotional note at the end, when Elsa returns to her and is riding towards her on the horse and she's kind of crying and then Elsa's getting into, oh, you saved me for, I forget even what she was trying to say. Like you saved me. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. But, and then they undercut that moment with a joke of like how much Anna is crying and like she's a mess and she's like sniffling and they're making a joke out of that, which you're undercutting her maturity as a character that they built in the first movie. And so it just felt like it undid a lot of the progress of characters that the two made in the first well i definitely agree with that and you know i think we are kind of bashing this movie a lot and there is a lot to be disappointed about but there were some things that worked well so for me what i would say was probably the most pitch perfect was you know the maturity of the animation and elsa's powers i thought that was really great and we honestly didn't get to spend enough time with it because every scene where elsa was fighting the elemental spirits and she was battling them especially the scene uh, when she approaches the what is it the dark sea and she has to tame the wild water horse that looked incredible that was so good and it was kind of it kind of reminded me of uh captain marvel so spoiler warning for captain marvel if you haven't watched that uh where they had the montage of carol danvers being kind of rebuked or failing at something and they had the montage of her through her years kind of getting back up again and that's what it felt like for Elsa like she kept getting thrown from the waves and then she couldn't get to the horse and the horse was dragging her down and literally trying to drown her yeah, right. that was yeah. crazy. I was like whoa I was like, are was we crazy. going here yeah um but I thought that was such a great moment and it looked amazing it looked like amazing. Yeah, I wanted really more job. of Elsa just being a fucking badass bitch <laughs> yeah where's that movie and that's one thing I would give credit to this movie is they really punched up the animation in it Mm -hmm. and it was awesome. A lot of the scenes where Elsa is singing and it kind of cuts to black and it looks like she's on like an all black soundstage and just her magic is lighting up the scene. I thought that was really beautiful. I almost wish they would have done more of it because so much of the plot was just kind of like lagging and there were a lot of other really cool scenes and shots that were 
callbacks and inspired by previous movies like the woods the first shot we see of the north Andrian woods it looks a lot like the woods in sleeping beauty and actually the voice in the credits is called aurora which is sleeping beauty's name so i definitely think there's something there and also this is just my own little tangent i think there were a couple more than a couple shots that were inspired directly by lord of the rings when Anna is climbing out of the cave. It looks just like when Frodo and Sam are climbing up the steps near Minas Morgul to get to Mordor. When they break the dam, it is just like in the two towers where, you know, Treebeard says, bring down the river, <laughs> or release yeah. the river. And then the one that was the most on the nose to me was the horse spirits when they do release the river and it's this cascading waterfall, this cascading body of water, and it takes the shape of these horses running is just like in the Fellowship of the Rings um, when Eowyn casts a spell to wipe away. Sorry, I'm going off on a Lord (laughs) of the Rings tangent, but when uh, Eowyn washes away the Nazgul that are chasing after him. Wow, the parallels are just amazing. I I would be shocked if they were not at least somewhat inspired by Lord of the Rings in a couple of those shots. On top of the animation, there's a lot of great tidbits, I think, about the making of this movie. And that's what's a little frustrating. But there were so many great things that we can take out of the production, the creative process, right? So, uh, Malika, what would you have as a fun fact for us around the making of Frozen 2? I've got to say, I am shocked that this is true. But apparently, Jennifer Lee, who is the writer and director of both Frozen and Frozen 2, She's the first female director of a Walt Disney Animation Studios feature film and also the first female director of any feature film that has earned more than $1 billion in gross box office revenue. Isn't that crazy to you? It's wild, especially because this was her first film she directed, I believe. Um, she did Frozen One, you mean? Yeah, yes. Frozen One was her first, the first film she directed, and I think right before that she just co-wrote Wreck It Ralph. So like, right. what a glow up, right? Yeah, seriously. And, and but it's crazy that there's so many Disney princesses, like female forward films, and actually there's this great campaign that Disney put out. I want to say a year or two ago about Disney princesses inspiring little girls oh, yeah. to, you know, they can do anything they want to do. Go, go out there. And yet Disney itself has not been hiring that many women to direct its movies. It's a little hypocritical and, uh, and frankly, pretty disappointing. A bit, I would say. You know, and I'm and, and as I being Will said before, and I think Clay would agree too. Like we're all pretty huge Disney fans. So come on, Disney, get with the times. And it's to her credit as a writer and director that even in Frozen Two, which we're a little dis- more than a little disappointed in but that we keep on comparing it to Frozen 1 and we're disappointed because Frozen 1 was such a great unexpected movie. Um, So good for you, Jennifer Lee, but you kind of miss the boat on Frozen 2. I'm sorry. (laughs) We'll give you one more chance though. Don't worry. But just don't make a Frozen 3. Make something else. Not a Frozen 3. Make something else, An inevitability. (laughs) But you know what? Let's then kind of close it up with our JB Smooth Award. So for those of you that don't know, the JB Smooth Award is given to the person, place, or thing that we just felt did not fit with this movie or took you out of the movie. 
And there were so many nominees, but I think (laughs) where we landed and we talked a little bit about this before was just all of the Kristoff stuff. I mean, it's unfortunate because he is a main character in these films and even the merchandising. He is a named character that has a presence in what the world of Frozen means. And for him to be kind of shortchanged and given a plot that doesn't add up, it doesn't really contribute to anything. And even the little that it does try to say is really one note. And it's, it's really disappointing, I would say. Yeah, he's completely inconsequential to the entirety of the movie. Well, Anna literally forgets him and leaves. <laughs> yes. Right, right. She leaves him behind. And, you know, Jonathan Groff, who is an amazing singer and who I love, he is not necessary in either movie. Like, they kind of cast him. They don't really give him a song in the first movie. So I think they were making up for it by giving him a song in this movie. But then they didn't give him much of a plot or any character development. Kristoff just kind of was the same from start to finish. There was no arc. I want to give a special shout out, honorary mention, JB Smooth Award to Matisse, who's voiced by Sterling K. Brown. He is this soldier from the battle between Northundria and Arendelle that's stuck in Northundria. So when we're first introduced to him, he's fighting all the Northundrians. And then the second Elsa shows up, she's like, I'm the queen of Arendelle. Don't do that. He's like, okay, I won't. And then the next time we see him, he's trying to block Anna from destroying the dam. And he's like, I can't let you do this. And then she's like, please. And he's like, okay. And that's it. That's all he has in the movie. He's a big old softy, Will. Is that so hard to understand? And then he flirts with the woman at the store. Oh, yeah, because he was asking about Helen, I believe, that he left behind in Arendelle when he got yeah. stuck. 30, first of all, 34 years and she hasn't remarried. Mm. Is it love or is she crazy? I don't know. What, you decide. Well, it, it seems a little weird that she'd be sitting there waiting for him for 34 years. That's like, a whole life. Helen Hunt didn't even wait for Tom Hanks five years in Castaway. And like, that was a respectful amount of time. That I was a respectful say. amount of time. I would have to agree. All right. So let's get into our ratings for this movie. So I'll start. As you can probably tell, I'm a little disappointed with this movie. And the most that I feel like I can rate it is one out of five fire lizards. I want to give it a higher rating too, just because of the credit that Frozen 1 brought with it. But I can't think of anything I really enjoy about this movie other than just the pure animation and how beautiful it was. So I'm also going to give it a one out of five broken dams. I'm going to give it a little bit more credit because as I said earlier, I enjoyed watching it and enjoyability is definitely one of the criteria that I use uh, when rating a film. And so I'm going to give it a 2.3 out of five Northundrian shawls. Because I did have fun. I wasn't miserable watching this film. Yeah, and I guess there's more there that was enjoyable. I loved when... Olaf was retelling the story of Frozen oh, 1 to the North Ocean. It was basically yeah. Frozen on Ice within Frozen. Right. The, <laughs> as I said, Olaf was delightful. Like, he charmed my pants off, and I think two of the 2.3 belongs to him. The moment when he's retelling his story, and so the parents <laughs> went off to find out what happened, and he turns they're dead. <laughs> yeah. And then my piece so is like, <gasps> yeah. I know, and he's like totally reacting to it. Yeah. That part that was, was good. Yeah. I definitely good. agree with your criteria, Malika, but I just feel like Olaf and the animation did not save it for me. And even that was still a one to me. I'm a little bit heavier on the characters and the plot actually being 
not nonsensical. So those were just huge demerits for me, unfortunately. Right. This isn't going to be a movie that I rewatch or recommend to anybody for sure. It's not even a plain movie for me. And that's low. That's (laughs) what I was going to say with your rewatchability factor. Every time I see Frozen on some sort of streaming service, I at least think, yeah, I could watch Frozen right now. I watched like five minutes of it. Yeah, Yeah. it's got great songs. I could sing along to it. It's an enjoyable movie with a good story. None of the songs, I haven't listened to a single song since I've seen it. It actually made me just want to go back and listen to the first Frozen soundtrack. And Mm -hmm. other than the scene where Clay, like you said, she's fighting the water spirits to try to get to Adelon and huge crashing waves and fighting against them. That was an awesome scene. But other than that, there's nothing really I would be interested in seeing again. I think the biggest indicator for me that this movie just didn't hit home was that I didn't cry. Yeah, that's, that's big. a good point. So if anyone's keeping count, then like a cry watch, I believe is up to three out of seven. I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong. I yeah, think it's more than three. Yeah, I think it, it might feel like more than three. <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, Last Christmas? No, no. That was- <laughs> so uh, Last Christmas, Hobbs and Shaw, and this movie are the only three I haven't cried in. Okay, so four, four out, out of seven. seven then. Yeah, I mean, not bad. But I will say, like, remember I texted both of you when I was watching Frozen 1 and 11 minutes in, (laughs) I was weeping and I'd seen this movie before. But like, do you want to build a snowman? Okay, Oh my God. It gets me so hard every time. And I was just like, just tears streaming down my face. Not one moment of Frozen 2 did I even get a little choked up. I thought the line, do you want to build a snowman to bring Olaf back to life? First of all, wow. Oh, in Frozen 2? Yeah. That was such an (laughs) unnecessary... Olaf semi-dying and then coming back to life. Completely unneeded in this movie. Forced tearjerker. Which didn't work, didn't work. obviously. And the line, do you want to build a snowman? I think I audibly groaned when she said that. Just, yeah. But she wasn't like, where's Olaf? She like knew. Yeah. <laughs> Again, telepathic magical connections, guys. What's so hard to understand about these powers. But if you knew that you going off could potentially put Olaf at risk, why wasn't that a factor when you were going into deep and risking drowning? You're like, come on, Elsa, get it together. So final thoughts. I think, unfortunately, we've said this already, but this is a film that's a little bit crushed by the weight of expectations. It's not bad, but I think knowing what it could have been if you've seen Frozen, which why would you see Frozen 2 if you haven't seen Frozen? Um, it just makes it worse in retrospect. You know, there's a lot of interesting elements that they could have played up and characters that could have had um, more bite to them, I would say. But it's not a movie I would personally recommend. Um, And I think that when the inevitability of Frozen 3 comes out, that I hope that there is criticism for Frozen 2 and that the creators learn from it and make a better story that these characters deserve. Agreed. And for those who are huge fans of Frozen 2, I just ask you to actually question why you liked it. If the songs are actually any better than the first movies. Or good at all. Or good at all. Or if you just like it because you like Frozen 1 so much. But hit us up in our DMs if you don't agree. That's right. So if you made it this far, follow us on Insta at CynicalPod and on Twitter at CynicalPodcast. This is it for this week. Wait until next time. Okay, bye.